if you're a nutritionist, right? Your hub, the heart of it is that you're a nutritionist, but there's a million spokes you could have. You could write books on nutrition. You could have online programs on nutrition. You could create your own line of vitamins. You could have a private practice where you do nutrition consultations. You could do a cookbook. So I think people get confused between what's the hub and the center that ties it all together and what are the spokes. Welcome to Freedom Slave Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. Branding is something that many have heard of and maybe even be doing, but are you really sure what it is and how to do it effectively? That's the question. What about getting the right kind of media attention for your business? Usually the answer to these questions is no. Today's guest can help though. She's an eight times best-selling author who sold over 350,000 copies of her book, and those books have been translated into 10 languages. She's a branded ninja whose company has been featured on Oprah, New York Times, Forbes, NPR, Fast Company, Fox, The Wall Street Journal, Today, MSNBC, and so many more. Karen Tiber Leland is the founder and president of Sterling Media Group, a branding and marketing strategy and implementation firm helping CEOs, executives, and entrepreneurs develop stronger personal business and team brands. And I mean, she's playing with big names here. Her clients include Apple, Cisco, AT&T, Oracle, Evis Car Rental, Johnson & Johnson, Bank of America, Sprint, Xerox, and so many others. Karen has successfully worked as a management and marketing consultant, freelance writer, keynote speaker, spokesperson, media guest, and reporter, author, and sometimes exhibiting artists and even the occasional actress. In other words, she has the experience and the receipts to teach you what you need to know. And in this episode, we're discussing the elements that make a strong brand, along with foundational marketing rules and the things that make a brand attractive to media, all things that we want to know, right? It's a lot of good stuff in here. So let's dive right in. Hello. Hello, Miss Karen. How are you? I am good. How are you? It's good to talk to you. I'm doing so well, and I'm glad you're on here today because you have so much knowledge with your experience in this business, this world, and I know my listeners are just going to eat it all up. So thank you. (laughs) And you wear so many hats. And I read on your site that you once said that you're not a one-trick pony. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, being that one-trick pony isn't your strong suit, and that is your strong suit. So can you share a bit with our audience about what you mean by that and how you've gotten to where you are today. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because people will call me sometimes and as a branding and marketing strategist and they'll go, you know, I just confused. I do this and I do that and I do the other thing and it, it makes me look like I'm all over the place, but I'm really not. And I was like, wait, stop. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> because, you know, in the course of my career, I've run a management consulting firm. I've run a PR firm. I've been a branding and marketing strategist. I've been a writer. I've been a keynote speaker. I've been an art, a working artist. I've been a working actor. I mean, I have a weird background, right? 
I have a really weird and diverse background. It just so happens, though, that we live in a world where that background, when it all comes together, happens to be useful. And really, it seems sort of disparate at first, but the reality is, is that everything I've ever done has one thread that runs through it, one common thread. And the common thread is really communication. Like, I've always been someone that's been interested in communication and creativity. And whether it was when I was an artist or whether it was when I was an actor or when I was running a PR firm or a management consulting firm or now being a branding and marketing strategist and a writer, it's all communication and creativity. So I finally figured out one day that those things weren't in opposition to each other. They actually helped each other. They actually enhanced each other. And I designed a large part of my brand around the fact that I was so multifaceted. I love that. And it's so many people, even some clients that I've had who are worried that they're all over the place or a fear they have that their audience may get confused. So how do you stop that confusion with your audience? Like, what do I go to her for if you're doing so many different things? Well, I mean, right now what I do, I don't do those things all at once. I mean, right now what I do is I, you know, as you know, I run a branding and marketing, you know, a very, a very high-end sort of concierge branding and marketing consulting firm for entrepreneurs, for businesses, for CEOs. And that is my business. Now, within that business, because I have this diverse background, I can write for people. I can art direct their websites. I'm a color consultant, so I can pick colors that they should be wearing on video or on TV. I can help them pick colors for their websites. I can help them write a book. I can help them get media placement. So it's not so much that people get confused because the bubble, you know, the umbrella is branding and marketing strategist, but all the various different things I can do I can back them up to be able to do them because I've actually done them myself successfully. So it's more a matter of it's I think of it as like a wheel, right? There's the hub of the wheel, which is branding and marketing strategy. And then there's spokes. And this is true for everyone, by the way, there's spokes. One spoke is as a writer. One spoke is as a, someone on television. One spoke is as someone who does podcasting. One spoke is as someone who does media placement for people in media training. One spoke is for someone who helps people figure out their brand. But all those spokes tie into the central theme, which is being a branding and marketing strategist. And again, Anyone could look at themselves like that. Like if you're a nutritionist, right? Your hub, the heart of it is that you're a nutritionist, but there's a million spokes you could have. You could write books on nutrition. You could have online programs on nutrition. You could create your own line of vitamins. You could have a private practice where you do nutrition consultations. You could do a cookbook. So I think people get confused between what's the hub and the center that ties it all together and what are the spokes. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. You said that it's like those spokes are just the different layers and what it really creates too is just character for your brand and also helps make you much more helpful to your audience, right? Whether you have a product or service, you're helping that person with all the different things you're bringing along with you to the table. So I love that. And as a brand pro, how do you define, how do you define a brand and what are the elements that you believe make up a strong brand? Because I know you have a whole best-selling book about this. <laughs> well, I mean, what used to happen and why I wrote the book, the, the book, The Brand Mapping Strategy, Design, Build and Accelerate Your Brand, what used to happen was people would come to me and they'd in a panic go, oh, I need an elevator pitch. I don't have a good elevator pitch for my brand. And I'd be like, okay, first of all, calm down. 
No one ever died from not having a good elevator pitch. But I think what happens is people got very focused on this idea that your brand was your elevator pitch plus your tagline plus your brand identity, your logo or your colors. And yes, that is all part of your brand, but that's like the tip of the iceberg. You do need those things. But as I started doing the research, you know, remember I came from management consulting and in management consulting, we're very systems oriented. We like to look at how the system affects something. So I applied and apply that same thinking to branding and marketing. So what's the system of a brand? And so I started doing some research for the the book. I think that was my ninth book. Yeah, that was my ninth book. I started doing the research for that book. And what I realized was that to really have a brand fully expressed, you had to be able to answer more questions than just what's my elevator pitch. And I likened it to when I would go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor would put that big metal thing on my face and click the lenses back and forth. And they literally ask you, does it make it clearer or fuzzier, clearer and fuzzier while you're reading the chart? Because they're trying to ascertain which lens is actually the right one for your eyeglasses. And I realized that a good brand was a lot like that machine. You had to get the lenses clear. And one lens is your brand identity. One lens is your anchor, uh, your elevator pitch. One lens is your tagline, if you have a tagline. One lens is the name of your company, if you, you know. But there's other lenses. And so I started to really research and say, what are those other lenses that when you bring them in, a brand not only gets expressed much better, but you can make better choices about how to put your brand out in the world. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I love that analogy with the eye doctor adjusting that filter, really, and just looking through it. You nailed it. So a problem so many small businesses have, though, is trying to figure out what their brand story is or what are those elements that make their brand unique. So how do you help someone like that who's at the very beginning? Like, where do they even begin prior to start? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That's why, by the way, I wrote the book, The Brand Mapping Strategy, because it's actually a step-by-step guide for people to do that. But honestly, where I begin with people, whether they are a CEO of a company or whether it's somebody just new starting out because they just left the corporate world and people you work with, they just left the corporate world and they're, they want to go get another gig that's not corporate. I mean, it really starts to me with that brand mapping process. It's really asking people questions, certain questions about their future and how they see their future and how how they define their brand. In my model, and again, there's a million models and some of them are great and some of them aren't, but my model is by far not the only model out there and it's certainly not the only good model. It's just my model, right? But Mm -hmm. I know it works, but I'm not saying it's the only model. But in my model, I take people through a process to look at things like, what I call their brand energy, like, which is what is the fundamental sort of tone and temperament of their brand? Because that drives a lot of things that drives the kind of website you create that drives the kind of fonts you use that drives the kind of language you use. And these are often the sort of more subtle layered things people don't think about. I also work with people to help them figure out what I call their signature story, which is how did they get to the place they got to? Like what brought them to this place? Because that's a part of your brand. Like, you know, gain and take for you, because you and I have talked a lot offline aside from this podcast, you know, you've been on my podcast, we've done some work together. So I know your story really well, but your story is a really important part of your brand. And, you know, your listeners know your story. And my story is a really important part of my brand. And so part of it is having people see how does their story fit into what they're doing. I'll give you an example. I was working with a woman who was in the Silicon Valley who was a VP of finance for a startup. 
she had been trained as a CPA early, early on in her career, had a degree as a CPA, but decided she wasn't really into that. And so she went back to school and she became a chiropractor. And she was a chiropractor for many, many, many years. And then fell in love, got married. Her husband did a startup. And he said, look, I want you to come be the head of finance for the company. You have a CPA degree. You're the perfect person. And she decided that that was a right time for it. So she went and she became the CPA for this startup. And she would get asked to speak at these conferences in the Silicon Valley. And she'd get up and she'd start talking. And they'd always ask her for her bio. And they noticed that there was this big gap between when she did this job and the first job. And she'd go, you know, I don't want to tell people what I used to do. I go, what do you mean? She goes, I don't want to tell these Silicon Valley tech guys that now I'm the finance director for for a startup, but I used to be a chiropractor. I said, why not? And she goes, they just don't seem to go together. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. When you were a chiropractor, what did you do? And she told me what she did. And I asked a bunch of questions. I said, well, okay, now as a finance director, tell me what you do. She told me what she does, blah, blah, blah. And I said, here's the interesting thing to me. What you used to do as a chiropractor at its essence was take a look at the body as a system and see what was working and not working and then put things in place to have that system work better. It seems to me all you're doing as a financial person is the same thing as a financial director. You're looking at the system, but it's a financial, the health of a financial system, not the health of a body. And you're putting things in place to make it healthier. And she went, that is completely true. So I said, why don't you start your presentations and your talks with that? Like what you learned, why you're a better finance manager and a better, you know, finance director out of being a chiropractor. Why don't you start your speeches like that? Because that was her signature story. And she did. And she told me, do you know, she said, people come up to me and they tell me that the most impactful part of my speech is that first part where I talk about that. So that's a perfect example to me of why you have to really step back and think about what is those different elements of the brand. And I want to say, by the way, it's really hard to do it for yourself. Like, I can't do it for myself either. That's what I was just going to say to you. I'm like, you have a gift because someone else talking about chiropractor, um, being a chiropractor and the finance bit, they may not be able to put it together as easily and as effortlessly as you did and the way you were able to marry them together. And it's a talent that you come with. So the person who's trying to figure it out for themselves, I do love that you said you got to ask yourself important questions because so many people, when they're thinking about a brand, the first thing they think about is what they want their logo to be or what they want their color scheme to be. And I'm like, no, there's underlying levels that are so much more important for you to figure out that's going to affect how all of those things are going to come together. So I do love your approach to that. And that story really tied it together because even with the nutrition, as you were mentioning, you know, writing a book or having all these things as it relates to nutrition, but those were two completely what they looked like opposite careers. And she was able to bring them together so beautifully. And I think we can all do that if we put enough thought in it and ask ourselves the right question. Absolutely. But I do think this thing about you can't do it for yourself is really important. You know, you can't see, you know, the inside of your own eyelids. So the story I always tell about this is, Years ago, there was, he doesn't work there anymore, but there was a gentleman who worked for LinkedIn and he was one of their senior directors or VPs of marketing. And he called me on the phone one day and he said, hi, I'm such and such. I'm a senior VP at LinkedIn and I need to hire you to help me redo my LinkedIn profile, (laughs) which I just thought was the funniest thing I ever heard. But he said, oh my God, I've been trying for months. I can't do it for myself. So 
that's always my ultimate example. You know, no matter how smart and brilliant you are and how much of this stuff you know, like I can't do it for myself either. I'm redoing my website and I've had to hire a friend to help me figure out the branding for it because it's really hard to do for yourself because you can't see yourself. You know, my advantage is that I not only bring all this background with me, but part of why I'm able to tie things together is I do have that background as a writer. I do have that background as a reporter. I do have that background as an artist. I do have that background as a management consultant. So I bring us sort of a multi-factorial approach, which let's face it, most people that do branding and marketing strategy come from either marketing communications or PR. Most don't. I'm not saying they're not good at what they do. A lot of them are incredible at what they do. But I just happen to have a unique background that makes me useful in the world we live in today. We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And you, with your PR background, because you have a PR background as well, I know you can help them because so many small businesses in particular have issues or trouble, I should say, trying to get coverage for their brand. So once they figured it out, once they feel like they have the story mastered and all of those things, you know, and they're trying to get coverage, they have an issue with that. So what would you say makes a brand attractive to the media? Well, I think what makes a brand attractive to the media is a couple of things. I think one, really, really being an expert at what you say you're an expert at, or really demonstrating your ability at what you say you're demonstrating your ability at. And we see that a lot today, which is that all these people, I've been talking to reporters and producers, and they're saying, everyone and their mother is sending me, you know, press releases saying, hey, I'm an expert at this, I'm an expert at that. And she says, and when we look, most of them are not really experts at it. They're just trying to hitch, you know, their chow wagon to the COVID thing and what's going on. So I think that makes you look really bad. I think that makes you look very poor in the press's eyes and the media's eyes. If you're going to really be an expert at something, then be an expert at it. Because the problem is anybody can hang up a shingle today and say they're anything. And I'm sure you see this all the time with people who say they're experts in X, Y, or Z. And then when you really take a deeper look, you go, no, they're not. They just are saying they are. They don't have any proof or evidence in the world of having done that effectively. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is you have to look like you've got it together online. So I can't tell you how many journalists I've spoken to who have said to me something like this. You know, I hear about somebody I should interview for my piece I'm working on. I go to their website or I go to their LinkedIn or I go to their social media and it's so poorly done. I can't use that person because if I use them and my readers go to their website or their social and see how bad it is, it makes me look bad. And I really think, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, well, I need to get out there and promote my business, but I can't really afford to redo my website or update my social media or change. And I'm like, well, 
you know, or get my LinkedIn together. I'm like, well, you're an idiot then because all you're doing is wasting time and money driving it back to a platform that won't convert. So I think people really don't get that you have to, especially these days, because these days there's more eyeballs than ever looking at people online. So if you don't have your LinkedIn together, if you don't have your stuff together, you are not going to be someone who's seen. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love the differentiation you made right there with the experts. Saying you're an expert is not enough. You have to actually be able to demonstrate that and have proof of demonstration, right? You want to have receipts, what I like to say, receipts on your website, whether that be via testimonials, you know, from people you've worked with that shown your expertise, whether it's been something you've written already. What about when the person is an expert, they have the receipts, they have their website all together as well as their social media, it's looking great, but they still aren't able to convert that media coverage into sales. You know, for those that are struggling with this, what can they do better to leverage their media features? Well, here's the deal. See, I think there's a misnomer in this. I actually disagree with this idea that because it's a one in one out process, I don't think it's, okay, you do media coverage, you get clients. You do something on social, you get clients. I don't think it's a one-in-one-out phenomenon. And actually, in my experience, it's not just my opinion. This has been my observation. I think it's about building a brand that has multiple touch points. So, for example, Mm -hmm. I people often call me and go, hi, I want to talk to you about hiring you to do my personal brand or my CEO brand. And I say, oh, great, where did you hear about me? They said, well, I first heard about you when I read about an article that where a reporter interviewed you. That's touch point number one. But they didn't mm-hmm. call me immediately. They said, you know, then things happened and I got busy. But then, you know, about a month later, I went online and I looked at your website and I really liked your website. But then I got busy and things happened. And then um, I went and I listened to a couple of your podcasts. And then I saw you write for Inc. And so then I went over to your Inc.com column and I read your Inc. columns. And you had that really great column about the biggest mistakes CEOs make in their brand. And I thought, oh, I really need to call her. So it's like, which one of those touch points made the difference? Which one of those touch points added the credibility? I would say all of them did. Mm -hmm. It was the combination. And the problem is, is we tend to think of it as that people will literally say to me, if I appear on this show, how much business will I get out of it? And I'm like, that's like, I don't have a crystal ball. And that's Mm -hmm. the wrong question. Mm -hmm. You don't do it for that. You do it because it adds another touch point. Like, and it adds to your credibility as well. It adds to your credibility. Think of it like this. I'm leaving a corporate job and I'm looking for someone who can help me negotiate the waters of leaving the corporate job and getting my own gig together, right? What you do. And I find you and one other person, let's call her Jane. Okay. (laughs) I go on Jane's website and I go on your website and on Jane's website, it's a nice website. Looks like she knows what she's doing. It's well done. Okay. Nice. I go on your website well done, looks nice, looks good. But on your website, I see that you've been interviewed on CNN, CNBC, Fox Business News, and Oprah Magazine. Which person am I instantly in my emotional reaction going to give more credibility to, whether it's deserved or not? Mm -hmm. Which one am I emotionally going to give more credibility to? The one that you see with the features. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So that's why I don't think the question is how do you convert it to business? It's like in basketball, they call it an assist, right? Like you, the guy gets the ball through the hoop. The the Uh only sport I know is basketball because I'm totally unsporty, but I love basketball. I love basketball. It's the only one I like, except for ice skating, which I don't think really counts. (laughs) 
but it's like a, you know, a guy sport, like basketball, football, like basketball is the only one. Anyway, so it's called an assist where, you know, one guy may dunk the ball, but he only was able to dunk the ball because the other guys gave him the assist to help him get there. So you've got to think of those things as an assist. They're not the dunking of the ball. The dunking of the ball doesn't happen till the person decides to finally call you. And that's usually five to seven touch points. It's very rare that there's one touch point and someone calls you. It's more like they hear you give an interview, they check out your LinkedIn, they look at your website, they look at something you've read, they decide to call you. So it's very rarely one touch point. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So thank you for breaking that down. And I'm sure a lot of people are now taking a step back because they maybe have have thought that possibly they did something wrong because they appeared somewhere once and didn't get the traction. And it's about also it's just I guess it's the energy of an entrepreneur, right? The foundational pieces where it's the tenacity to get up and continue to go, the ability to constantly keep going and putting yourself out there in different media outlets and helping out in different ways and showcasing your expertise on different platforms that really builds a strong entrepreneur. So it makes sense that they have to be in more than one spot or be seen in more than one spot before that traction actually happens. Yes, and that's what builds your credibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, ones could be a fluke, right? <laughs> ones can be a fluke, right. Also, people do games, and I don't think games work. And here's the game. What I mean by games. So I think the thing that doesn't work is when people do this. They go to somebody who says, well, come to my class. Well, it used to be a live class. Who knows now? And I'm going to charge you five or 7000 or $10,000, and we'll video you as on an interview where I interview you. Then we'll send that video out to our affiliates, stations. So you can put on your website, you've been on NBC and CNN and CNBC. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's Mm -hmm. a way to try to game the system. But real customers, savvy business people always see through that because as soon as you click those links, you don't really see the person on CNN or NBC. What it means is that that little clip that funky homemade clip ran on some affiliate station that's an affiliate of NBC at like one in the morning or on a cable channel. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying don't pretend that that's the same as really doing the work to be on Fox Business News or CNN or CNBC. Those people work hard to get Mm -hmm. to the level of expertise to be on those shows. And some people hate it when I say that because they think, well, you're, you know, if people have said to me, well, you know, you're diminishing that other people. No, I'm not diminishing. And I'm saying we have to make a distinction between levels of legitimacy. Everything is not at the same level of legitimacy. Mm -hmm, For sure. For sure. I agree with that 100%. And you've been at this for over 25 years. So you know your stuff as it relates to branding as well as the marketing pieces too. So what are the fundamental or foundational, I should say, marketing rules that you've seen stand the test of time? Because there are a lot of people that say, you know, things are different. Everything's different now. But what are the things that you've seen remain over these time or over these years as it relates to marketing for your business? Well, I mean, I was on a call the other day with the CMO of SAP and what he was saying, and I think it's really true, was the way we do marketing has changed, right? The technical ways we do marketing are changing and COVID has 
undoubtedly changed it. But the principles of marketing haven't changed. The ideas behind marketing haven't changed. It's just the execution that's changed. And I think when people are really well grounded in the principles, then they're able to understand that you're just applying the same principles, the core principles to different expressions. I mean, I'd say I'll give you an example, right? Like quality content always wins. You know this better than anybody. The expression of the content might be your Instagram, but if you've got crappy content on your Instagram, that's not going to build you a great audience just because you're using Instagram. Mm -hmm, For sure. So you would say quality content is one of the principles. What's another principle for the foundational pieces of marketing? I think it's knowing who your customers are, what they want, and Mm -hmm. really speaking in a way that relates to your customers. I mean, you and I, quite frankly, had that call because I know I called you to say, hey, I need some help with my Instagram because my Instagram audience is not the same as my LinkedIn audience, right? My LinkedIn audience is CEOs, owners of businesses, very high-end entrepreneurs. My Instagram audience is more younger people that might be looking for like online products or books, et cetera, more millennial. And I said, I know the way I'm doing my Instagram isn't speaking to them. It was quality. I think we'd all agree I had quality content, but it wasn't speaking to my audience. And you're like, well, here's what you have to do to speak to your audience. And I was like, okay, I got it. And I've started shifting my Instagram. Now my LinkedIn is the same because that's a different audience. So I think you have to start to think about who's your audience and what messages are you giving them? And are they the right messages for that particular segment of your audience? Mm-hmm. That's excellent. And I know, like you mentioned just now, you normally consult for those larger companies, the huge Fortune 500 sometimes. And you also, though, have those courses and books that will benefit the younger audience and who I think will benefit many of those listening on this Freedom Slave podcast greatly. So can you tell us a bit about your courses and your book and what you think would be the most impactful for those listening, those fempreneurs? I always recommend that people do buy the brand mapping strategy book on Amazon. It's like a manual for how to work out what your brand is and to take it through all the various strategies you might create for it. It's not an academic book. It's got like the examples I've been giving here, lots of examples, lots of exercises. It's a really easy, fun book for people, but it's impactful. So I always recommend that because that's, you know, low cost of investment and time with a very high return. So the brand mapping strategy book on Amazon is one great thing that I recommend people do. The other thing is, If people go over, you know, I definitely, of course, my Instagram has always got tons of free information about it, about branding and marketing. So it's not just pretty pictures, as you taught me. It's a lot of information about branding and marketing, and that's all for free. So I think my Instagram is a great place for that. I have a lot of audio workbooks and audiobooks and audio products and ebooks, all of which are just getting re-put up on my website. So in a couple of days, by the time this airs, those will all be up on my website. So people can always go to my website at KarenLeland.com and look and see what products I have. They're not particularly expensive, but they're very segmented. So it's things on like how to write a blog. It's things on, for example, how to get free PR. It's things on, you know, it's like that. It, should you write a traditional book or a self-published book? They're very sort of meaty how-to things that most people that are getting started need to know. Mm-hmm. And that sounds perfect. Especially, I know that last one you said, like self-publishing versus traditional publishing. So many people have those questions. And while Aunt Google is wise beyond her years, getting this information from someone who knows their stuff is going to save you time and money in the long run and ensure that you make the right decision. So I do believe that your stuff will be so beneficial. And what I'll do is share the links below in the show notes 
notes for all of the things Karen just mentioned. So you can check out her book. I'll put the link below for that, as well as her Instagram page and her website where you'll find the courses, the little mini courses and all of that. So thank you so much. And Karen, it's one question I always love to ask at the end of every single Freedom Slave podcast. And that is, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom to me means that I could do what I want to do when I want to do it in the way that I want to do it. Simple and accurate. That's exactly how I feel. What you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, with who you want to do it, right? Yep. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Karen. I'm sure people are going to get so much value out of this and they're going to follow you on your Instagram to get more of those jewels that you have because Karen provides massive value along with really pretty pictures because she is a photographer as well. She's all the things. So thank you so much once again, Karen. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, make sure you take a screenshot and tag us over on Instagram. I'm at Gainette, G-A-Y-N-E-T-E over on Instagram. Yep, only one T in my name. And Karen is at Karen Tiber Leland. That's K-A-R-E-N-T-I-B-E-R-L-E-L-A-N-D. And I'll put the links to her Instagram as well as all the things that we discussed in this episode in the show notes. And I'll chat with you next time. Adios. Okay, okay. I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find and benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you.